Um, good afternoon, CLC, and those who are in this room with me today. Um, I think it was about two weeks ago when I stumbled across this article entitled, Preach Your Heart Out No Matter How Few Are in the Room. And um, this pastor was talking about how he had an opportunity to speak, and then he only had four people in the room. And I was looking at this article. And then here we are today um, with maybe like six, seven people in the room and you guys on the live stream. Um, but honestly, I think this gives us a glimpse of what life is like for many people across this world who can't worship freely because of fear of persecution. Um, I think it's really a good reminder for us as Christians to remember that we shouldn't take Sunday service and our gathering weekly lightly. Like that is something that is precious. Um, I think another thing that I thought about as I was preparing this sermon is that gathering here or through live stream reveals something about God. It reveals that we believe that God is worthy of our affection and our attention. So that's why we gather. We gather to hear God's word and um, hear him speak to us. And I know that many people are anxious and fearful and um, just a host of things are happening around us, but I think this is a good centering time for us to um, hear what God has to say to us. So let me pray, and then I will um, read our passage, which comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you for this privilege to be alive and to have an opportunity to come and approach your word. And I pray, God, that your word would make us spiritually alive, that our hearts would be drawn closer to you as we dig into this passage. Um, God, calm our restless hearts, our hearts that are um, confused and wondering looking for where our help will be. God, I pray that you would be that help. You would be that hope that we hold on to. So speak to us today through your word and help us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, let me read the passage. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Um, and I was thinking about this, like, when you think about your life, how do you know that you know someone? 
how do you know that you have a relationship with someone? A few questions that you might ask are, can I pick that person out of a crowd? If I were to see them, can I pick them out of the crowd? Do I even know their name? Can I say their name? Or maybe, can I talk about details of their life that few people know about? Or, man, that person, I know they're not feeling well. Yeah, they might look like it on the outside, but I know that person so well that I could tell that something's not right. If you answer yes to any of these questions, um, then you probably know someone. You probably have a relationship with someone. But what about God? When it comes to our relationship with God, how do we know that we know him? Is God a stranger or is he someone that we really know? What I want to do today is answer two questions and then apply this sermon in two different ways, especially to our present context. And the first question is this, how can believers have assurance or confidence? Um, John gives the answer in verse 3. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. We know that we know God. And the tenses are important here. We can have a present tense confidence that we know God, how? If we keep his commandments. So we can have a present tense confidence that we know God, that we have come to know God. That, that means I have moved from a state of unbelief to belief in God, if I keep his commandments. And I think this is the central point of this text. Commandment keeping is essential for the Christian life. Commandment keeping is an essential reality for the Christian life. And I know that this is the central point. He just repeats it in different ways multiple times in the next few verses. Look at verse 4. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So that's just the negative way of saying verse 3. Knowing God is about commandment keeping. If you don't keep his commandments, then if you know God, you are lying. And I think that's it's clear. Commandment keeping and knowing God go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. And if you don't have one, you don't have either one. In verse 5, second half of verse 5, John says it again. He says, by this we may know that we are in him, that we are in him, that we abide in him, that we have a relationship with him, that we know him. How? Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him. Similar to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, where he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide, same word that it's in our passage, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, those who say in God ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. And how did Jesus walk? He kept his Father's commandments. Keep his commandments. 
John is trying to get across is this. Commandment keeping is an essential reality of the Christian life. And if there is no relationship, if there is no commandment keeping, there is no relationship. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were noticing how romantic movies seem to always the wedding. Um, it's crazy. Like, before the real drama starts, they cut the movie. And I was thinking about that. Like, man, we need to get a real glimpse of what marriage is. And it's not the time before the wedding. It's the time after. Um, but we were talking this and I thought wow it's even more fascinating that at a wedding ceremony the strangest thing pops up vows like promises commitments like I don't I can't remember all the I remember like a few details like I Her in sickness and in health, rich, and when I'm poor, mainly poor, like <laughs> I will not cheat on her, not abuse her. Those were some of the ideas that I had in my mind as I was thinking about these vows. I will love her. I'm Essentially, commandments. They're essentially commandments that I'm to impose onto myself because I know this person and because I love this person. You know, sometimes when you think about love, it's like, oh, we want to be free. We want to let our love go out and just break out of doors and, you know, just go wherever it wants to go. But it's interesting that when two people enter into the covenant relationship of marriage, they make vows to one another. They put restraints on themselves. And I think that's what we have here with God. God is, the only way that we can truly know God is if we enter into a covenant relationship with him. That's how he relates to people. And the covenant relationship is just a fancy way of saying it's an relationship where two enter into an agreement and they bind themselves by rules and commitments. And we talk about knowing God. Am I in a covenant relationship with him? Simply, oh, do I know him? Like, do I know someone's name? It's, am I committed to this person? Am I in a relationship with this person? And what's Shocking is that many times when we're really knowing someone and binding ourselves to them, vows come up. That's why it shouldn't be a strange thing when we want to know that you know God. Check to see whether you keep his commandments. And how much more should we be keeping the commandments of God? God, the sovereign the universe. He has rules that we ought to abide by. And that's for those who are in It's their delight. I want to care for this person. 
know, I was thinking about this personally with my own life. And, you know, there are things that I've learned about my wife over time. Um, I didn't know that she didn't like to be tickled, but she doesn't. So if I tickle her, she's often like, man, you must not love me. And it's interesting because now in my mind, you know, even today, I, I, I tickled her. And I, I made a mistake. I was like, yo, I shouldn't have done that. But what am I doing? What am I saying? This person that I love has often commanded me, don't tickle me. And if I love her, I will heed that command. That's how it works with God. If we love God, we will obey him. Think John 14, 15 is a really helpful passage because it says, if you love me, if you really know me and there's a relationship with me, this is Jesus talking. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We love God, so we keep his commandments. And that's why John is saying, if you want to know that you know God, do you keep his commandments? I think another thing to remember is all of this love that we have, all of this commandment keeping is in response to a love that he has provided to us. It's not trying to earn something, but it's in response to his love for us. Later in 1 John, he says, we love because he first loved us. I think that's important that we remember this is not legalism. This is not, oh, I'm just doing something. This is out of our response to the love that he has shown us. We will gladly keep his commandments. So the second question that should be itching on your ears is like, yo, what are these commandments? What are you talking about? Do I even know what commandments you're talking about? And we don't have to look far to know what commandments John has in his mind. 1 John 3, 23 says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So it's very clear. Jesus has commanded us God has commanded us to love one another. 1 John 4, 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this verse echoes John 13, 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So the first thing you need to notice here is that Jesus is asserting his divinity. He's not saying, if you love me, then keep God's commandments. He's saying, I give you a commandment that's worthy of being followed, worthy of being obeyed. So he's saying, hey, the Father and I are one. We both give the same commandment, that you love one another. But even, be even beyond that, it's, there's a unity here. There's a unity here because what he's saying is all of this communicates the same thing. Obedience to God means that we love one another. So there's a love that I have with God and a love that I have with one another. 
so that there's all this unity and love that we have with one another, this fellowship. I think the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, um, somebody approached Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then right after that, Jesus says, and the second is like the first, that you love your neighbor as yourself. You see? Jesus says, both of these commandments sum up all of the law and the prophets. All of my word is summed up in this idea that you should love God and love others. Meaning, you can't have love of God and not love others. Like, that doesn't make sense. If you truly love God, you will love others. If you've been born of God, you will love others. And I think that verse 5 in our passage gets at this idea um, in a really interesting way. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word or keeps his commandment, notice the parallel there, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So those who keep his word, those who keep his commandment, the and this word perfected shows up a couple of times in this passage. Um, way to sufficient to sufficient, but more it. Target. I think a good illustration of this is a plant. Plant and plants need water, but they definitely need sunlight. Because as, and I'm not a scientist, so you can fact check this, but as the sun shines on the plant, the plant converts that energy from the sun and grows. It grows. This is called photosynthesis. The plant is taking this ray of light and growing. It's converting it into sugar or something, and then it's growing. So now you have this plant that's growing, but it not only grows, it bears fruit. There are, there's fruit that comes from it, right? So I have this ray of light hits this, and then this plant takes it, does something, and then fruit. That's light hitting a target. That's light perfected. And why I say that is because the love of God is the same way. The love of God flows from God because God is love. The love of God flows from God, hits a heart like mine or yours. It changes that heart transforms us so that we can actually love him. But not only that, it transforms us so that we can love others. That's love perfected. That's love in accomplishing what it was intended to accomplish. And what does love look like? What does it look like? I was reading this book, and the author says this. The love that Jesus seems to demand 
is that I tear off my skin, the skin off my body and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that I am that other person and all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness I now feel for that other person as though they were me so imagine that now it's not a matter of this is how I this is what I want this is how I feel it's me trying to feel what you are going through me trying to love the things that you love me trying to care for you based on what you need not what I need that's what love is so again when God's love hits us it transforms us and it makes us able to love others A summary of this passage or this idea is this we can know that we have known God if we love one another if we have this type of love for one another and this is what first John 4 7 says beloved let us love one another for love is again from God and whoever loves has been born and knows God so love is from God and it leads to me loving others You know, this is a crazy time because of this pandemic and all these different things. And I have been looking at pictures of um, people shopping, like especially at Costco. Um, I saw like a line that was going outside the door of Costco. Um, I Ata sent me a video yesterday of two people boxing over toilet paper. Um, like they were literally boxing and I was just so amazed you know I've, I've seen pictures of carts that are full of things because why people are scared people know that something could happen and they might not have the ability to drive somewhere or things might sell out or how are we gonna get toilet paper or you know food for our kids or whatever it might be that, that, so we stack our carts full of stuff And I was thinking about that. Like, that's a real interesting picture of how we live this life. We live our lives as though our lives are like those shopping carts that we're, you know, going around, filling things, trying to fill that shopping cart, obtain success, obtain possessions. It's all about us. It's all about our family. It's all about me, me, me. And yeah, there's common grace for sure. You know, there are mothers who sacrifice for their kids. There are teachers who sacrifice for their students. But generally speaking, the dominant narrative of our lives is how does this affect me? What's in it for me? And I was thinking about that. Um, that's that's how we live. That's that's the status of this world. But then there are other pictures or stories that I hear about, like this one church who created long ago, not, not yesterday, not this week, but long ago, um, a benevolence fund with the intention that, yeah, there might be some people who go through difficult circumstances. They might lose their jobs. They might be 
hit with an unexpected bill. So we want to be, we have been thinking about that or preparing for that, and we've accumulated money. They have to just ask, and we can pour it out. Instead of trying to fill their bank accounts, they're filling this fund so that others can be blessed by it. And I was thinking, like, that's what love perfected looks like. Love comes down, hits us, and keeps going to others. I think that's why John, later in this book, he writes, later in this letter, he writes, in John, 1 John 3.17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? If I have stuff and you need stuff and I'm not willing to give it to you, then John is saying, how does the love of God abide in you? Because again, love always hits its target, and keeps going. We don't love others in order to get something from God. We love others because God has blessed us. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, even when we give on a Sunday or whatever, like, we're not giving because God needs a benevolence fund. We're giving because he has, in Christ, blessed us with access to his benevolence fund. And now we can create, just like God has created a benevolence fund for us, we can create a benevolence fund for others. That's how love works. We're responding to the grace and love that we've received and making that available for others. So the question is, how do we know that we know God? Not just knowledge, but a relationship with him. How do we know that we have that? The answer if we keep his commandments, then the question should be, what are those commandments? And the answer is, the commandments are to love one another. I think I want to apply this in two different ways. And I know that people are going through a lot and thinking through a lot and struggling with um, different questions in their minds. But I think that this passage applies at least in two very important ways. First way, First um, John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the connection is this. How do you know relationship with God if you keep his commandments? But what's the point of having a relationship with God? So that you know if you have eternal life or not. Like, that's John's purpose. That's John's focus. It's not just so you can know more details. It's do you have eternal life? At the end of the day, after everything has gone away, do you have eternal life? And, you know, I think one reason why C.S. Lewis is so helpful um, in life his writings and his publications is for this reason. He fought in the First World War. He was actually wounded. And then he did most of his teaching 
right before and then after for a number of years and during and after the Second World War. So this guy was thinking about death. He participated in war. He was just a hyper aware of life and death. And he wrote this. He said, there is no question of death or life for any of us. Only a question of this death or of that death. So it's not a matter of, oh, is this going to bring death or life? No, it's this death or that death. He says, a machine gun bullet now or cancer later. What does war do to death? It doesn't increase it. 100% of people die, and that number cannot be increased. War doesn't increase death, but it makes us remember it. It makes us think about it. And I think that's how we can apply this passage to what we're going through right now. As we think about this pandemic and think about all the different uh, consequences and struggles and troubles that we have, are we being reminded that we are mere mortals? That we actually will die? That we will have to give an account for our lives? Like, are we thinking about that? Or are we just thinking, man, I hope I have enough blank? I, I, this is my challenge, especially to um, myself but I think to everyone in this room and whoever's joining us, don't let this moment pass you by. Like, these are God-ordained moments to bring about um, deeper understanding of what life is really about. God is waking us up in many ways, reminding us, hey, don't put your hope in this world. This world is passing away. Remember that you will one day die. And this is good news for a Christian because if they know God, they know that they have eternal life. They know that this is not the end of defeated death, just like weeks ago. defeated death and the is that those who know him have access resurrection, and life eternal. It's true that if you don't know him, which is what you should be asking throughout this sermon, do I know God? Do I keep his commandments? If you don't know him, all that awaits is eternal judgment away from the grace of God. Like, the way I like to think about hell is all of with no means satisfied. Like, I know what it's like to be hungry for a few days. Okay, what if there were two years, but I still have this desire? That's what hell is. This place where I am cut off from the grace and the love and the blessings of God, and even himself. Where does love come from? It comes from God because he is love. So trying to make sure we're awake, we're, we're in fellowship with God. And just one more 
apply this passage. Let what is physical inform what is spiritual. And what I mean by that is in the upcoming weeks, um, I know I know if you play this video, I know I touched my face. I know I touched this thing. I know I touched a lot of things. And my wife, as I was walking through the door or out the door, she said, don't touch anything. I'm like, how do you not touch anything? Um, and, and she's right. You know, I shouldn't touch anything. She's a doctor. I'm not. Um, but there should be a profound sense of vigilance when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. Like it's funny how we're like so, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't do this, don't do CDC, give me some more commands. Tell me what I need to do. And then when it comes to our spiritual life, we're like, oh, yeah, that Bible, I know it has some things in it, but, uh, yeah, I don't need to think about that too often. No. Let what is physical inform what is spiritual. Be reminded that what is physical is passing away, but what is spiritual will remain forever. So how are you guarding your heart? Are you feasting and fasting? Are you focused on what will cleanse you, the blood of Jesus, or just focused on soap? Like, let the soap clean your hands for sure. But more than that, let the word of God renew and cleanse your mind and your heart. You know, I was thinking about this. I find it easier to, you know, look at the latest update on CNN or whatever, whatever news site than I find reading my Bible and being reminded of a sovereign God. CNN, Fox News. MSNBC, choose your poison, but none of those things are going to remind you of God and his ability to bring this world and reconcile it to himself. They're not. So when I see that urge to go to CNN or whatever, and I'm like, oh, man, I want to see what's happening. I should confess that. I should recognize it and confess it. And say, God, that type of desire, can you reorient it? Can you give me that same passion, that same desire for your word? Like CNN, it's not bad. It's not bad to check the news, to be informed. But at the end of the day, how much is the word of God informing you? I think um, I'll just end it, the sermon this way. God transforms us as we hear his word. That's why we're even tuned in right now. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be commandment-keeping people like Jesus was when he was on this earth. We want to have our, our hearts transformed. This is why we meet, even digitally. Like We want the word of God to hit us, transform us. But we don't want it to stop there. We want it to bleed out. We want it to go forth from us in love towards one another because that's a sign that we love and know God. So as we walk away from this text, we should be asking ourselves to have assurance that I have a relationship with God. 
to love one another. When I look at my this is how I need to test my own self. Like when I look at my bank account, is my bank account, you know, money flowing into it from jobs or whatever, does it flow out to anyone else? Or does it just stop at my house? This is love that is dependent love. We want love that depends on Jesus. You know, apart from him, we can do nothing. We want love that is dependent. But we also want love that is being perfected, meaning love that is flowing from us. Love that is to reconcile this world to himself. So, you know, as we through these next couple of weeks or months, um, let's be reminded of the great privilege we have to love those around us. We're kind of loving one another now by keeping distance and not gathering. But there are so many ways that we can love others. Maybe this will be helpful. I wasn't going to say this, but um, you know, I've never had someone come to me and say, Thomas, you love me too much. Please stop. Never. Not even my wife. She never has said that. She's never said that. She's never said, please stop. This, this, this is too much love. But the reality is, that's God. God gives us so much love. It's ridiculous. And he enables us to be people who love like Jesus. Yeah, we will have our struggles. We will have our failures. Um, we will not love perfectly, but we are being transformed to look like Jesus. So I hope that encourages us to, you know, think about ways that we can grow in our love for one another. Are there people out there, you know, I did this with my wife this week. Are there people out there that we can show love to? Not, not because we want to get something from them, but just because we have been enabled to get, show love to them. So let's just take a few minutes, um, process the sermon, and then we will um, wrap up with just a closing song. Um, there's one song that I um, was thinking about as I was writing this passage and or the sermon, and um, it's why have you chosen me? Um, just just remembering how good it is to be in a relationship with God, um, that He has made it possible for us to be um, known by Him and to also know Him. And there's this line that says, "You know, Your word I will strive to obey." Like that. Striving to obey is not in our own strength. It's in the strength that God provides. He not only gives the command, but he gives the power to do the command. So let's sing this song and um, worship God as we proclaim how good he is to us. Uh, let me just pray for us. Father, we are thankful that you are in control. Um, even when it feels like that's not the case, even when it feels like 
hope is lost or hope will be lost, um, God, I pray that you would remind us that you are in control. Um, help us, God, to use this moment, to not let this moment pass us by. Um, help us to use this moment to evaluate um, where our hope lies. What confidence do we have? What assurance do we have? And God, we know your word tells us that it's only in you. Um, so God, I pray that you would place our feet on solid ground. You would help us to depend on you, to trust you, um, that you would transform us too, God, so that it's not just about us, but it's your love hitting our hearts and going forth to others. Help us to love one another in this new and um, peculiar time. God, may we see this as a new opportunity to see how your love can be a blessing to those around us. So strengthen us, God. We definitely need you. And we pray that you would give us wisdom and how to move forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.